The amount of time people are spending online is increasing, and this includes your audience. At Venvio, we conducted some research recently that shows that 40% of both homeowners and pros found new brands since COVID started via the brand's website. And I'm talking specifically about building product brands. And what this means for you is that there are changes that you need to be making to your site today, heading into 2021, in order for you to continue to drive awareness, leads, and sales. On today's episode, we bring on an expert in the building materials website space who shares common mistakes, quick fixes you can make to your website to see results, and also shares some of their favorite manufacturer websites and what they're doing well. It's a great episode. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. This is Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popniklov, and today we're going to be talking about your website, specifically changes you need to be making to your site to be ready for 2021. We have with us someone who arguably spends more time on manufacturer websites and frankly pointing out what's wrong with manufacturer websites than maybe anybody else we know. We have Mitch Harris. He is our very own design team architect from Benvio here to bring us the scoop on what you need to be doing with your manufacturer website, what you're probably getting wrong, and who's doing it really well. Mitch, welcome. Hey there, everybody. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) I know we've got loads of questions, Mitch. Maybe can you give everybody a 20-second overview of what it means to be a design team architect? Because you're an architect of a slightly different kind for those in our industry. Yes. I do get that question a few times. like, oh, so you design buildings. I'm like, well, no, not exactly, which is even more confusing because I did go to the School of Architecture, though I did not study architecture itself. I've just perpetually in my whole life two steps away from actually designing a building, but not at all qualified to do that. Yeah, so design team architect, basically I like to read it backwards. I'm the architect of the design team. I run our design team here at Vinvio, And as Beth pointed out, I do spend a lot of time looking at manufacturer websites and saying what's wrong about them, what's good about them. Uh, and obviously tying that into a lot of our research efforts uh, with things like the COVID-19 report and how that starts to intersect with your online presence. Mitch is like my kindred spirit. It's true. It's totally true. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, like I've been looking forward to this interview, Mitch, because you and I probably geek out more about the intersection between design data and our audience probably more than anybody. And so I I really want to kick things off with you by asking, what are some of the biggest changes that you see? And I'm just going to dive right in, but what are some of the biggest changes you see that manufacturers need to make to their website specifically heading into Mm -hmm. 2021, just based on the shifts that we've seen happen this past year? Yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest shifts or the biggest, I guess, kind of takeaway we've seen this year is that, you know, the real differentiator, the the people that have done well, obviously, during 2020 have been the ones who are able to communicate things like price, things like availability, and really connect the dots for people in an area where we're seeing all these gaps, right? You know, in our industry, a lot of times it's, you call a guy, or you go see a guy, you you take a little jaunt down to the store and now we're in an environment where that's maybe not always as easy to do. So being able to go online to check a price, to check availability, to check lead times, that sort of thing, being able to at least communicate that is where we're seeing a lot of the most value and the the more robust your systems are in sort of automating and digitizing the whole fulfillment itself. I think the more success people are seeing. 
So if I had to give one takeaway, that would probably be it. So if I could ask the opposite of that question, mm-hmm. what are those main issues that you see over and over again that they're not glaring? It's you know we're not talking about you know your site isn't beautiful, but those things that over time mm-hmm. actually really impact the negative sense ability to get results or drive leads from their website. Again, I'd say the the biggest thing, and this is not even you know, modern time specific necessarily, but is just people not understanding what their audience is really looking for. I think a lot of manufacturers like to talk about themselves. I mean, it's a very natural thing to want to do. They talk benefits, they talk features, but they don't really ever address the reason why somebody's coming to your website in the first place, which is they're looking for something. And the closer you can get to understanding what that something is and the better you can deliver on that something, the better your website is going to perform. And obviously that something can can vary depending on your product and, and what problem it solves and you know whether you're in more of a commoditized space or if you're this kind of niche architectural type product, you know, that again that something can vary. But understanding what they're looking for and finding ways to over deliver on that promise is usually the, the key to success. Mitch as Beth mentioned, you probably work on, I don't know, I would venture to say probably more manufacturer websites than maybe anybody in the world, like especially building products. I, could, I, think like, he's, I would put him up against anybody, like honestly. And, and so as you're answering these questions, I'm like, okay, well, how do you evaluate success? Like, yes, we care about aesthetic, but when you look at a manufacturer website, what are you looking at in the data? What are you looking at on the front end? to go, okay, mm-hmm. this site is probably performing well because, you know, for our listeners, we probably have a pretty wide range of people going, okay, my site, you know, I think it's performing well or I know it is or I know I have gaps. Like, what are you yeah. looking at when you start to figure out what's working well and what's not? And it can kind of depend, you know, <laughs> you guys mentioned it. I, I do a lot of what we call UX audits, which is basically, you know, Venvio throws me headlong at a website and I just <laughs> kind of have at it. Yeah, the things I typically grade websites on, if that makes sense. I mean, there's some standards, there's some baselines, best practices, and then there's kind of another bucket, which is unique to every client and kind of what their goals are. But as far as those standards go, you know, we're looking for clarity of navigation and organization. What I really try to hunt out is what I call like opportunities for confusion. And most of the time, if you've built your website or you've kind of sat on your website for a while, you become really easily blind to these things because you're just used to how you've organized it and it makes sense to you. And that's that. But, you know, we'll see websites all the time that have two pages that are very similarly named, but maybe one of them is in the navigation and one of them's linked to some other page and you think you go to the same place, but they're actually totally different pages, stuff like that. I mean, product organization in and of itself is, is kind of an art of understanding, you know, how your customers might think of different applications for the same product. And, you know, do you organize it by whether or not you know, by like the problem it solves or by like color or by like how you would think about it. Cause a lot of manufacturers coming from the manufacturing side, they're like, well, I'll organize it this way. Cause this one's manufactured in a very different way than this one, but maybe they solve the same problem and maybe they'd be better served delivered to your audience in kind of a similar fashion. So organization hierarchy, sort of information structure. The actual name for that is information architecture. Again, nothing to do with buildings themselves, but architecting, how you organize information. That's a big one that I look at because it ties directly to navigation and, and how people create an understanding and a mental model of, of your website as they navigate. The other things I look at, you know, I mentioned like, what is the audience value? How well is the website speaking to that? That's a huge one. So that's another point that I always look at. And a lot of that comes in with the visuals, yes, but also the, the written copy on the page. 
you know, is this brand positioning itself as someone who is going to solve somebody's problem when they're landing on the website? Are they making the right things easy to find? And then from a performance perspective, again, this changes depending on client goals. But I mean, there's some really simple stuff. I could recommend everybody make one change to their website today. It's create one piece of downloadable content that you think is going to be high value gate it so people have to kind of give their information in exchange for it and put that on your website so that you actually have a touch point on your website where you can get people's information, where you can start a conversation, where you can get that process rolling. I mean, that's probably the number one thing is a lot of people have a website, but it's just kind of sitting there. It's for purely informational purposes. And then all these people are going to it and having their interactions almost completely devoid of any real interaction with the manufacturer themselves. So how can you close that gap or how can you leverage the website to, you know, get closer to your customer. Mitch, what I like about what you're saying here is that, you know, you're, you're paying a lot of attention to the UX, meaning how do I interface with the brand? How do I get information very quickly? But what you're not talking a lot about is lead generation, which I think mm -hmm. it really depends upon the building product company, you know, how they handle leads. Do they have e-commerce? Can they even get a lead? Like there's some manufacturers who like, they don't even, they can't even get leads. And so I think what you're talking about right. with that one recommendation for downloadable is saying, hey, regardless of how you sell or who you sell to, yeah, finding a way to interface directly with your end customer and give them something of value is incredibly yeah. important. I think it, you know, from my perspective, it's not only important because it helps you measure the success of your site and are you speaking to your audience but also positions you from the standpoint of, are you delivering value first? Like starting with value versus taking, like, are you a taker or yeah. are you a giver? You know, and I think that's, yeah. that's also incredibly underutilized and undervalued. You know, we think, oh, well, our site's here to generate awareness. Let's get traffic yeah. and let's get leads <laughs> and let's rinse <laughs> and let's repeat. And it, yes, you need to, like, that is the part yeah. of the site, but there's also an element of, well, part of the reason why you get that or part of how you get that is by positioning your brand effectively. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting point. I talked about, you know, I recommended a downloadable, but I guess you could abstract that really is you need to figure out what is the touch point we want to have with our customers on this website. Cause it doesn't necessarily have to be a downloadable, you know, you could consider it to be chat. Maybe if you've got a more abstract type product and a downloadable doesn't make sense, you know, but what is that interaction point again? How can we leverage that website to get closer to our customers? You know, maybe it's just a form that they reach out to you to, start to order your product or get a quote or something like that. But you need to have some next step that somebody can take on your website that's A, going to provide them value, like you said, but also be going to help close that gap a little bit and bring you closer to your audience. I think it's important to note here how much time you spend specifically in manufacturer sites because you're uncovering consistent issues with manufacturers and the channel, whether they're targeting architects or contractors or builders, also spend tons of time in manufacturer sites and yeah. are running into these same issues again and again and again. And a couple of things that you hit on, one, just product organization as an art is like the exact way, right way to say it. It's unfortunate that it's not a science because that <laughs> would actually make everyone's job easier. If like an architect knew undoubtedly like that the, there was the Dewey Decimal System of yeah, right. manufacturer product organization, they wouldn't have to, like, we've seen it as high as 50% of web traffic on a manufacturer site is search because architects are like, nope, I don't even have time to figure out how you personally have individually decided that your products are special and unique. But that's true across the board. And I just want to make sure that we're highlighting 
your experience in the industry because sometimes I think manufacturers can take for granted they get it like they get it they you know builders get it builders know that when I say facades what I mean is this and that you know this product that we have that is waterproofing for facades will be under our waterproofing section not our facade (laughs) section for this minor reason that there's just this art of inexplicable confusion around <laughs> where and why your products should be based. And one, like we see you, like we understand the pain that it is to put your products in a place that makes sense to your audience and makes sense to your internal staff. But also it's yeah. so important to take that 30,000 foot view and create a website that is for solving your audience's problems, mm-hmm. not for simply serving up your products to right. the world for them to yes. find. The good news is that, you know, pretty much all of our manufacturer websites that we see, one of the most highly trafficked areas of the website is the product section. Yeah. People are largely coming to a manufacturer's website because they already know you manufacture whatever kind of product they're looking for. So you can kind of start from that point. And again, if you don't have any sort of maybe conversion point on your website, that is like the quickest five second change you can make today is like in your hero banner or like make sure it's prominent in the nav is your products section. And we do look at some manufacturers websites where products is like the third item in the nav. It's squished between every other thing. Like the first thing is about because they just want to talk about how they've been around for 50 years. And, you know, they've buried products somewhere in the middle. But if you move that thing either to the first or last position in the navigation, that's kind of one of the, we'll call them laws of UX, I guess. People tend to remember the first and last things in a list. That's a quick change. And then if your hero banner has a button in it, you know, quickest thing to deliver what people want is to give them a link to products usually. (laughs) And that doesn't require you to make anything additional. You can make that change today, basically. I mean, you're going to start giving people a little bit more of what they want, unless you've got some other high value thing already that's already being delivered there. It's also worth pointing out, we kind of touched on it here and there a little bit. Um, There's another law of UX called Jacob's Law, which basically means most of your users are going to spend a majority of their time on the internet, not on your website. So if you can create your website or tailor it in a way that's kind of matching whatever their existing mental models are, which is informed by their entirety of their web browsing experience, typically the better off you'll be. And this obviously applies within our industry. So, you know, you've got to be thinking a little bit about what people are doing on other manufacturer websites and how other manufacturers have organized their products and what they might be used to there. But also these people are, are people, they're shopping on Amazon, you know, they're using Google, they're used to all of these things that all of us use every day. So how do you kind of tap into that, which gets especially interesting when you start talking e-commerce because buying siding is not the same thing as buying a t-shirt on Amazon, but there are elements from maybe Amazon, that shopping experience that you can, you can pull into yours as well. I think that's important to note For manufacturers that are going through a website redesign and are like, let's just tear it all down and start over. We want to build something incredible. First of all, Mm. absolutely. That sounds awesome. (laughs) But there is a threshold where you can actually get so like new and fancy that somebody it's going to become too unfamiliar and you'll just be designing for design sake. And like my, maybe it will look really good, but if it's now, this experience that someone's not experienced before, you're creating a different kind of friction. And Kate, instead mm-hmm. of having an old, hard to navigate site because it was outdated or clunky yeah. or had seven sites kind of bolted onto each other, now you've created something that is so brand new that someone also doesn't want to use it, but just for kind of the opposite <laughs> reason. That there's some good standards of practice. Like you don't have yeah. to 
reinvent the wheel just for the sake of we're doing a website redesign. We're investing a ton of time and money. Let's make sure we come out of this thing with something that nobody's ever thought of before. Right, There's a reason right. that people thought of stuff. It's because they put a lot of time and research into it and have probably create if it's working well, just do what's working well. You don't have to find this other like net new thing and hope that it works really well too. Yeah, that's a really good point. And if you want an example of that, I feel like if you spend enough time browsing like architecture firm websites, you're bound to run into one of those eventually. They, they, run, a, they run a gamut of like architecture firms website. It's like kind of a thing they just put up really quickly and it's there and it's just like very standard. Or somebody put like way too much time there. Like how can I be different for the sake yes. of being different? And there's some really cool stuff, but I think uh, you raise a good point where again, if you want a functional website, it definitely pays to, to pay attention to that kind of thing. And that's not to say you can't take a few bold risks here and there. I mean, otherwise the industry doesn't move forward. Absolutely. But they should be calculated and they should be based in research and should have an understanding of, you know, intentionality behind that. Say like, okay, we're going to do this thing and we're going to see how it performs and, you know, push the envelope in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch, you know, we did some research recently with the Farnsworth Group where we mm-hmm. you know, researched and, and surveyed, gosh, a couple thousand pros and homeowners. And one of the pieces of data I thought was most interesting that we gleaned from this research was that around 40% of pros and homeowners, and when I say pro, just for our, our listeners, mm-hmm. referring to the builder, architect, you know, GC, whoever it might be in that professional space, and this is both residential and commercial, they said that they, I, I believe, let me just make sure I find the stat correctly, around 40% found a new brand via that brand's website, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so I'm looking at that stat and I'm going, okay, Everybody might not be able to redesign their site today, but everybody can make improvements. They can make changes. And so if I can do some like rapid fire with you real quickly, sure. could you list off, gosh, three, four, five changes you would make or assess on your site today just to help our listeners and go, okay, if you know, here are a couple ideas real quickly that I would recommend you make to your site today if you can, just based upon how buyer habits are changing. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Well, let's say again, the, we've talked about this one, but obviously the first one out of the gate, quick low hanging fruit is figure out what it is that your audience is coming to your website for and make sure you promote it. Easiest low hanging fruit, most obvious way to do that is to just push people to your product section a little more or, or provide more links to that area of your website out of the gate. That's one quick one. Uh, the other thing I would do is, you know, again, mentioned kind of over communication, especially these days, if you don't have some method of adding a little banner at the top of your screen, that's like, Hey, here's what we're doing for COVID-19. That's a valuable thing to be able to have. If there are certain products that are taking longer because of your infrastructure, because there was some delay in material delivering, let people know that, you know, use your website as a platform to, to communicate. There are obviously other channels, which you can do that as well. But the thing about things like social media is they're very temporal. You post something, it's there for a couple of days and then it's no longer in anybody's brain. But somebody shopping for your products on your website, if you have a little banner at the top that says like, hey, lead time on this is going to take a little bit longer. It's okay to say it's going to take a little bit longer because what you don't want is somebody to place an order for that thing and then get frustrated because it took longer than they expect. So leverage your website and leverage where people are at on your website to level set their expectations and to clearly communicate and to be kind of open and, and again, use that as a bridge to your audience. Well, I, I think you're hitting a couple of things, about, which is about convenience. And you're making me think about things like chat. Like chat is, you know, although it can be a very involved process, but giving people quick answers to information they want. Yeah. Like you mentioned availability. I think chat quickly gives people a way to access 
information that maybe is a little quicker than them having to find it. Mm-hmm. I would probably also th- say things like pricing, which mm-hmm. a lot of manufacturers are at times hesitant to provide. <laughs> even even finding a way like, here's how you buy, here's where you yeah. buy, so you can kind of point them to that pricing question, right? Mm-hmm. I think the thing about those things is they can be a little more difficult to spin up quickly. Price, less so, but it, price is really dependent on how your price structure already exists. You know, if it's 1.5 times more expensive in California than South Carolina, what price do you put on the website? Well, now you've got to build some geolocation thing or you got to not show it, or maybe it's you have a dealer price and then a, a different price. That can get difficult to manage. I think your point about chat is interesting because I think the bottom line, you said it was you got to get people answers quickly, which is kind of what we were touching on with maybe the notification banner or something about product availability. It's if I have a question, what do I do? Contact form is kind of the old school way of doing that. It's not always the best because you don't really know when you're going to hear back. So I would say if you want another low hanging fruit, if you have a contact form, put a little blurb next to it that says, we'll get back to you in X amount of hours days or whatever it is. Again, just setting expectation, getting in front of those potential anxieties is going to increase the opportunity or increase the potential for somebody to actually fill that thing out and carry through with asking their question as opposed to going to somebody else. I would mark like when you put that sentence on the website mm-hmm. to see how much filling out that contact form increases. Cause the contact form oh, yeah. feels like it's like the abyss. I don't know. I don't know where this goes. <laughs> I don't know. It's getting like, sent to like info at company.com. Yeah. How often is, yeah. that in, is that inbox checked? How many times right. have you actually received a response from any, this is like industry agnostic from any contact yeah. form. You just don't, do you put on there like 24 hours or two business days? Guaranteed you see an increase. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's that transparency component. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Mitch, if I put you on the spot, you know, just to yeah. wrap things up, do you have a favorite manufacturer website right now? Like, I mean, am I allowed to ask you that question? A favorite you give me two. I'll let you give me two. Good question. Good two. question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay. I'll give you two. Okay. And they are going to be prettier websites because I do think aesthetics has value. If I can cite another okay. UX rule, there's a, there's a UX rule called aesthetics usability effect, which is users often perceive aesthetically pleasing websites or designs as being more usable. Totally makes sense. Which absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So uh, first one, it's watermark-designs.com. They're a high-end faucet manufacturer. They do kind of these, they're not fully custom, but they can do custom. They're just really high-end, beautiful faucets. Who has one? Who's, who's the... Gosh. Oh, Kim Kanye West. Yeah. yeah Kanye, West. Kanye. Kanye West has one of these faucets. <laughs> like, who who could arguably have literally any faucet. Literally any faucet, and they've got a watermark faucet. So that's probably one of my favorites. I think it's a really modern design. It, we, Can you tell us what you like about the site? Yeah, so there's the aesthetic component, uh, which I mentioned. But there's also a few other things. So I talk about product organization. I actually like the way their products are organized. They're split in... Faucets are always kind of tricky, right? But they're split into collections and products. They have a ton of products, more than you would expect for a really high-end manufacturer. Like, as a high-end manufacturer, I feel like you could get away with, like, oh, we have three products, and that's all we do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but they actually have a lot of products available, and so they've organized them into collections and products, and collections are kind of these broader, sweeping categories, but there's a lot of, you know, aesthetic congruence between stuff within those. And then products, you can actually go in by sort of function, right? So... 
collections is organized by aesthetic and then products you have, you know, is it for a bathroom, shower, kitchen and bar, et cetera. You have these categories where you can start to drill down like, okay, I've got a shower, you know, I need, you know, this kind of setup for that or kitchen and bar. I need single hole or I've got a two hole setup, three hole, you know, you can start to filter down sort of based off of your selections and what your requirements are. So I think that's really valuable as well. That's great. Awesome. I really like Arctura's website. I really uh, we like their site. Website, mm. It's really good. The product organization from the previous iteration of the website to this iteration of the website is much improved. Again, you've got kind of categories some of what you're looking for. And again, they have a very kind of high-end architectural product, which I think works well for the aesthetic of their website and how they've kind of chosen to do that. Their product page is one of the best long-form product pages yes. I think I've ever yes. seen. It is it's very good. dead on. It's not missing a single spec of information, but it's interesting. It's engaging. Things are served to the user in a variety yeah. of ways. So you're able to consume yes. information in any number of ways that keeps you engaged and scrolling. Yeah, I think their product pages are phenomenal. It's interactive. Like I can change the pattern of this product. I'm just poking around now. But yeah, it's interactive, right? Like you can click through, you can change the product, you can click through a couple of different features, uh, which, you know, sometimes you just want to list those out, but here I can click it and there's like a graphic that changes. I mean, it adds just a little level of, of liveliness, right? Yeah. And it's got all the important kind of calls to action. I can view the downloads, I can find a rep, I can get a quote. It's giving me those next steps of what I should do now that I've looked at this product and let's say I, I want it. Like, what do I do now? If you can answer that question, man, that's like, that's, that's going to get you so much. If somebody's looking at a product on your website and they ask themselves the question, okay, what do I do now? If you can make that as obvious as possible, that's the key to success just as a baseline. Awesome. Mitch, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate Absolutely. your time. And for our listeners, if you like this content, make sure you go to vmbo.com slash podcast to subscribe. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popniklov. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.